Um, but again, I know we've been chatting for the past couple of minutes, but I just want to personally thank you again for just being open to come on and chat and especially changing your schedule around for me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, but I've really been excited. You know, it's, it's amazing when you can see individuals who climb the professional ladder but still remain so humble. Um, and just watching you from a distance and paying attention just the man of God you are, I, I am so excited to have you here. And um, just thankful for you being here. And we got Dr. Chris Hobbs, guys, the AD at the King's Academy in West Palm Beach, Florida. And he's going to come and talk to us. And I've been sitting on my seat, I'm telling you, since I saw the title on Twitter this morning, I've been sitting on the edge of my seat. So I'm going to go ahead and pass the torch to you. But I appreciate you so much for being here. Coach, thank you for uh, inviting me on. Uh, I am super excited to be here, mostly because of the people that are listening. Um, these, you all are people that matter. Uh, you matter so much. So I'm not excited to be on here for, for me. I'm really excited because I'm speaking to people that really, really matter. And what I mean by saying that is that the platform of sport is such a powerful platform. Um, it is a platform in which um, at its core, it changes, it can change young people's lives. Um, it can be a platform for speaking out on much larger matters, uh, social justice matters, um, all sorts of change happens. And a lot of the times the platform of sport leads the way. And so opportunity to share with, with you all on here is um, really, really humbling. Um, let me make clear what my objective is right now, okay? My objective is to send you away with explosive inspiration that God's hand is on your role as you impact people in sport. Uh, there's coaches on here. And so student athletes is, I, I want you inspired to impact student athletes. Uh, there may be, uh, we heard from a conference commissioner uh, two days ago, and she was absolutely phenomenal, and, and she's impacting other ADs and coaches, and so whoever it is that you're impacting in sport, I want you to walk away feeling really inspired that God's hand is on you as you impact people in sport. Let me give you two simple pieces of advice. The first piece of advice, I'd encourage you to have a notepad and a pen, not because what I'm going to say is all that important, but because there's some tremendous research that you really process and learn better when you physically write things down, not just type things down, but write them down like a, like a pen and a pad. Um, and I'd encourage you to write down things that only matter to you. Don't write down everything I'm saying um, because that lends me to my second piece of advice. I was, uh, for a long time, I was a high school basketball coach uh, and I was um, sitting in the bleachers at a coaching clinic and I got the chance to listen to Billy Donovan. Uh, Billy Donovan won two national championships at the University of Florida. He now coaches the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, Donovan steps up to, to share with everyone, you know, a couple hundred high school coaches in the bleachers. Um, and he opens up his presentation by saying, hey, what I'm about to share with you, do not adopt it, adapt it. And he went on to kind of explain that what works for him at Florida at the time, all of that won't work for you where you're at. And all of what works for you where you're at wouldn't work for Donovan at Florida. Every place is so unique to itself. And so he said to try and adopt everything is a recipe for frustration. He said, just adapt one little thing. I have no idea what Donovan spoke on for the next hour and a half, but I remember that. I remember that. That was great advice there. So I wanted to pass that along to everyone. Two reasons why you all matter right now. First of all, uh, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that you fill in your name in that place, you. You are God's workmanship. Uh, that word workmanship is a really pregnant word that really implies more masterpiece. Uh, I want you to think about a time in your career when you got something right. Like you leaned in, you worked your tail off, and it all came together, right? Like that was one of your career masterpieces. That's who you are in God's eyes. Uh, you are a masterpiece. And the rest of the verse goes on to say, not only are you God's masterpiece, but you're created to do good works. And that word good is another very pregnant word. And it has implications of excellence. It has implications of morally right. It has implications of valor. Uh, it has implications of praiseworthy. Uh, and so you matter because you're God's masterpiece and you've been created to do certain things really, really well. And then that bleeds over into the second reason why you matter in my opinion, there is no platform 
that is as intensely prepared for impact as the platform of athletics. Here's why I know that. And here's why I know it's biblically supported. If you were to go to 1 Timothy 4, chapter 7, the very part of the verse, very first part of the verse, Paul, who is a mentor, is talking to Timothy, who is a protege. And Paul tells Timothy, train yourself to be godly. And the word train is the word gumnos, which became the word gymnos, which became the word gym. And the application there is, Timothy, train yourself like an athlete would train. And, and if you understand the cultural context of that, the Greek world is beginning to turn competition, athletic competition, into a spectator sport. And all of these, uh, these arenas, these rough, old, stone-built arenas are starting to fill up with people watching athletes compete. And I'm convinced Paul saw the fire in Timothy's eyes when Timothy looked at athletes. Uh, because in that context, when an athlete won, he was treated as a god, lowercase g. He was, created as a, he, was, he was treated as a god. And when an athlete lost, he was put to death, right? You want to talk about, you know, playing for your life, literally. And yet at the same time, the competition, uh, the platform of athletics back all those thousands of years ago had a huge impact. Paul makes over 50 athletic references. Many of them are to Timothy. And so you want to talk about why I believe athletics is so important. It's because the apostle Paul thought it was so important. Uh, and so that's why you all matter because you're God's workmanship. You're his masterpiece created to do great things, great work. And you've decided that that's going to be inside of the world of sport. Uh, and I think there's a great biblical basis for why the world of sport, there may not be another avenue that you can impact people one-on-one, -on -one, team wise, nationally, regionally, globally, there might not be another platform that impacts people the way sport does. So you really, really, really matter. Um, I'm going to share my, that was all free. That wasn't even part of my presentation. That's all free. Um, let me, let me share my screen real quick with you. Um, I've got a real simple PowerPoint. Um, let me see if I can uh, pull this off here. Um, I, I may not be able to. Let's see. Let's see if I can get this going for everybody. Uh, I may not be able to get it going, and I'm not even going to mess with it. So you're just going to have to write down. Here we go. Ready? Um, here's what I've got right now for you, okay? I want to speak to you because, in my opinion, you are in the ministry of sport. I don't care if you're at a public school, a private school, I don't care, conference commissioner, we had a conference commissioner here two days ago. You are in the ministry of sport. I believe there's biblical evidence that sport really can be ministry, and I think you're in the ministry of sport. But it is very, very possible to walk with God and resent it. It's very, very possible. Um, and it can very much happen in the world of sport. Here's where, where I've twisted that phrase a little bit. And so I'm a freshman in college. I'm the oldest of three boys. Um, so my parents are dropping their first child off at college. My father is still a school leader. He's been a school leader for 40 plus years. Um, and along the time, he spent about 30 years as a basketball coach. Uh, and so athletics was a huge deal in our family because our dad was a coach and three boys and blah, blah, blah. So my dad's dropping me off as a, as a scrawny young 18-year-old on a college campus uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I went to Tennessee Temple University. It was an NAIA school. I played basketball out there for a year. And then, so anyway, he drops me off. I can remember standing on the sidewalk before uh, my mom and dad pulled away and he took his finger and he poked me in the chest. He said, son, you walk with God and you'll never regret it. That's what he said to me before he got in the car and he drove back to New Jersey. I was born and raised right outside of Philly. So um, he drove back to New Jersey, left me in Chattanooga. That's the last thing he said to me before he went back. But it is possible to walk with God and resent it. Very, very possible. If we were to look real fast uh, into the book of Luke chapter 15, three verses, 28, 29, 30, we see a perfect example of what it looks like to walk with God and resent it. And what I'm trying to do right now is use God's word, hopefully, to fire some warning shots at all my, my brothers and sisters that are in the ministry of sport um, so that you can kind of self-evaluate and maybe self-correct. Quite honestly, as I was preparing this, I had to do some self-evaluation, self-correction. Uh, and so what we have is we have the story of the prodigal son. We're all very familiar probably with the story of the prodigal son, but we get the story of the prodigal son wrong a lot of times. Here's how we get it wrong. We emphasize the young man, the little brother, made a big mess of his life and then comes back and asks dad to forgive him, right? That's actually the secondary story happening in Luke chapter 15. The primary story happening is the older brother 
who is walking with his father and begins to resent it. You see, the core of it is that the older brother got wrong what the word deserved means. I get real nervous when people start talking about what they deserve. Because if we understand a relationship with Jesus Christ accurately, we don't want what we deserve. We, we actually want what we don't deserve, right? And too often, you know, you hear like pop stars and you, you see videos and you see, you know, media stars talking about what they deserve. That makes me nervous. That makes me nervous because I don't think we actually want what we deserve. And the older brother got that wrong. He got it mixed up. You see, what we want is we actually want what we don't deserve and we do not want what we do deserve. If we really understand it, we don't want what we deserve. We want what we do not deserve. That would be a proper understanding of grace and mercy. Grace is getting something that you do not deserve. Mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. Grace and mercy are core elements to understand and how to live your life with the Lord, how to, how to walk with God. So let me unpackage four quick things for you. Four quick things on how the older brother got this wrong and he ended up walking with God and resenting it. First in verse 28, okay, we see that the older brother gets angry when the little brother returns and is accepted with open arms. We see the older brother gets angry and here's why he gets what I would call, if you're taking notes right now, I would write down, if you want to walk with God and resent it, restless anger because you are serving for re reward rather than serving for love. Now, let's just take a second and pause about our ministry of sport. Why are you serving in the ministry of sport? Are you serving in the ministry of sport for reward? Or are you serving for love? Um, it's, it's very normal to want reward. But there's a difference between wanting reward and that is the purpose for why you're serving in sport. My opinion is the, the platform of sport, the more powerful the platform is, the more you have to do it because you love it because anything else, and it begins to warp and have awful domino effects because more and more people get negatively affected if you are serving for the wrong reasons. And so the platform of sport, I think is powerful. I think it's huge. And so if you're serving for reward, you're going to get restlessly angry and you are going to end up walking with God and resenting it. You need to serve for love. Let, let me talk real quick a little bit about, let me unpackage that for leaders right now. Um, and everyone on here is a leader. If you're a coach, you're a big time leader. Like your leadership skills are tested all the time. If you're an AD, um, if you're a pastor, whoever you are, there's a really good chance that everyone on here is a leader. Scott Eblin wrote a book um, called The Next Level. It's a business leadership book. It's not a faith book. It's a really good book though. And in it, he says, the work no longer speaks for itself. Here, here's why I, I, wanna, I want you to kind of connect with that statement. So many of us struggle at times to serve for things other than love. We serve for promotion. We serve for the next big opportunity. We serve for a paycheck. Uh, we serve for shout outs on social media. We serve for new followers. We serve for, sometimes we all get it wrong. Sometimes the priorities slip all around. As a leader though, you can really help your people to avoid that by making sure that you understand that we live in a time when the work doesn't speak for itself anymore. And as a leader, you have an opportunity to speak out, credit your people for the great work that they are doing. So as a leader, not only do you have to check yourself, make sure you're serving for love, but then you've got to think, you know what? I know my people are serving for love, but I know there's other things tugging at them and I can help alleviate some of that pressure, some of that anger that sometimes they don't, they're not getting what they think they're serving for by shouting them out. This is important now. When you shout people out, people that you're responsible to lead, shout them out by name, and by task. Don't just say, hey, you know, my, my man, Jimmy, he's doing it well. Well, wh what is he doing well? Or the team had a great game today. Well, no, 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 no. Shout your players out, shout your coaches out, shout your people out by their name and by exactly what they did. And here's what's going to be going to happen. You're going to alleviate the pressure on them that they could become restlessly angry and their priorities on while they're serving could be slipping all over the place. You're going to restore the priority of serving for love in their life simply by leading them well and shouting them out by name and by task. So I think that's huge. 
Uh, and I think maybe if I would never want to rewrite God's work, uh, I would never want to. But if someone said, Hey, what would you add? I would probably add the prodigal son's father to shout the older brother out by name and task, you know, along the way. And so one of the ways you walk with God and resent it is you become restlessly angry because you are serving for something other than love. So in our ministry of sport, let's serve for love. Here's the second thing. Verse 29, um, the, the older brother makes it very clear that he is frustrated with the acceptance of the little brother because the older brother has been here all along serving. He says, I have faithfully served you and, and you're going to accept the little brother back who's done nothing. I've, one of the sure signs that you were on the path for, of walking with God and resenting it is joyless duty. Joyless duty. The older brother had no more joy in his service to his father. And here's why that happens. Here's how we become joyless in our duty in the ministry of sport. We perceive our father as uncaring. Some of us, unfortunately, are going to serve some people. We're going to, we're going to have some leaders over top of us that we don't think they care about us. That is going to happen. But if you are serving for love, then you can begin to direct your attention right to your heavenly father and understand that your father cares for you. If you have perceptions that your father is uncaring, you will lose the joy in your duty. Here's my challenge to you as leaders. Not only check yourself and think, hey, am I serving under the reality that I know my heavenly father cares for me? He really cares for me. But as leaders, when is the last time the people that you are leading got the sense that you cared for them? And, and, and I think what immediately jumps in my mind when I ask that question is I can give you a list of things that I've done that I think sends the message I care, but that doesn't matter. What do my people perceive that I have done that has sent the message that I care for them? And so if you want to make sure that you are not walking with God and resenting it, you've got to remember that your father cares or your duty will become joyless. And then as a leader, you got to flip that on its head and you got to do the same thing in reverse. I got to make sure my people know I care so that I don't accidentally steal the joy of their duty. Here's a third thing for you uh, in regards to how, how can you end up walking with God and resenting it? Uh, in verse 29, uh, the older brother forgets that the father has accepted him. If, if This is called anxious performance. We perform anxiously when we forget that our leader has already accepted us regardless of our performance. And this is hard to do in a performance-based industry. Athletics is a performance-based industry, right? Like we get measured by a scoreboard that tells us whether or not we performed well. It is so critical as leaders that we make sure that our people know that they are accepted regardless of their performance. Doesn't mean you don't hold them accountable. Doesn't mean you don't challenge them to grow and get better. Doesn't mean that you don't go chase after the numbers on that scoreboard, right? Like if winning didn't matter, we wouldn't plug in the scoreboard, but winning matters. So we plug the scoreboard in, right? But at the same time, the people that you lead, maybe it's your players, um, maybe it's your coaches, if you're an athletic director, they got to know that they are accepted regardless of their performance. L let me share with you two things that I think are critical that'll help to really, really put this in maybe three dimensional for you and in high def for you. First of all, the biggest sin in America may be the biggest sin in American parenting may be, and the biggest sin in sport in America may be the car ride home after games. That car ride home after games can be the worst experience for student athletes. The absolute worst, the bus ride home after a bad game for the players with the coach sitting in the front seat of the bus, that might be the worst 30 minute ride of their week of their day, maybe of their lives when things don't go well. Here's what parents should do. So if you're a parent of student athletes in that car ride home and you got to apply this again, Billy Donovan, don't adopt, just adapt to this, right? So you figure out how it works because your kids are unique to you, but in your ride home, if you've got kids and you're riding home after athletic events, tell them, Hey, listen, and I'm telling you, this is research-based right here. Dr. Bruce Brown, you can look him up. Um, he's a tremendous researcher in the field of sport. Um, Dr. Brown says, without question, the only thing kids want to hear in the car after a game is from their parents. Hey, I loved watching you play today. And that sends the message to them that they are accepted regardless of their performance. And guess what happens? It's amazing how they perform better like that. And so for our, us coaches... Let's take that and let's adapt that a little bit to the bus ride home after that game. 
where let me tell you something, the kids played like crap. Sometimes we get together. Sometimes we, we put our game plan in place. The kids go out there and you think, has anyone even coached these kids in the last week? Like what is going on tonight, right? Like they just perform like crap. Get on the bus and remind them that they are accepted regardless of their performance. It doesn't mean you're not going to have hard conversations. doesn't mean you're not going to hold kids accountable. doesn't mean you're not going to bench kids that aren't playing well and play. It doesn't mean any of that. But it does need, mean that if you want the people around you to perform at the highest possible level, you don't want anxious performance. You want the highest possible performance. They got to know they're accepted regardless of whether or not they hit the game-winning shot or whether or not they dropped the game-winning touchdown, right? They got to know that they are accepted regardless of performance and you will get maximum performance out of that. And we can apply that as ADs to coaches, uh, as school leaders to our faculty members, uh, as coaches to our kids. We can perform, uh, apply that in every possible way, right? You don't want your people performing anxiously and they're going to perform anxiously if they don't think they're accepted unless they perform, okay? So, and, and some people are throwing up in the chat. I'm, let me tell you something. I do not get this right a lot. I got three teenagers and they're all three involved in sports. Let me tell you something. I've screwed up the car ride home after games before, right? So uh, I, I, this is where I got to self-evaluate a little bit, okay? So three things so far we've covered that if you are going to walk with God and resent it, number one, you're going to have restless anger because you are serving for reward rather than love. Number two, you're going to have joyless duty because you perceive your father is uncaring. Um, I, I can't pause on this one enough. Um, we serve a God of love. Um, we serve a God that sent his son to die for us out of love. Um, and this is why we can trust his sovereignty. You can trust sovereignty if, if that theological term there, God does what he wants, when he wants, with whomever he wants, but we can trust that because he loves us so much, right? And so um, joyless duty comes when we perceive our father as uncaring. Um, and I want to challenge you as leaders, make sure that your people, the people you're supposed to lead, know you care so that you don't accidentally rob their joy of their duty. Because most all of us got into the ministry of sport because we love it. We have great joy around it. So let's be careful that we don't steal the joy of sport uh, from the people around us, right? And so here's the third thing that we've already covered. Anxious performance. You will walk with God and resent it if you perform anxiously because you forget that the Father has already accepted you. And I, I shared with you how we don't handle that well after games very well. Let me give you the second reason in anxious, how you can eliminate anxious performance. Um, or the second example, Greg Popovich, Hall of Famer, uh, tremendous coach for uh, San Antonio Spurs. He's coached United States basketball. Um, some people say Pop needs to be president, right? I, I think maybe a good argument could be made that maybe Pop needs to be president, right? Greg Popovich ends almost every conversation with his multi-millionaire basketball players. He ends almost every conversation with them by saying, I love you, brother. You want to send the message subtly that your people around you are accepted regardless of their performance. Try and end every possible conversation you can with I love you. Now, a couple things need to be in place for you to do that. You actually do need to love them. Uh, you probably should be demonstrating that you love them. Uh, you probably should be in this, as we already talked about, you should be serving because you love them, because you love it, because you love the impact of sport. Um, but if those things are true, you should not be afraid to find ways to end conversations with your people that you love them. Because it sends that message. And let me tell you something, Greg Popovich can do it in the hardcore, no, no one cares business of NBA basketball. That, that is a hardcore deal. Professional sports is the real deal, right? It's driven by money. And if you can't help us sell seats and you can't help us win games, you got to go, right? Like there's not a, a lot of love happening in professional sports. And yet Greg Popovich, Hall of Fame coach, um, you, you, you'll be hard pressed to find a player who talks poorly about pop. Uh, and it's because one of the things he does, he makes sure his guys know, hey, listen, I might have to cut you. I may have to stop paying you, but it doesn't mean I don't love you. You are accepted regardless of your performance. If you think about what happened with Pop and LaMarcus Aldridge a couple of years ago, LaMarcus Aldridge was a big free agent signing for them. Got to the end of his first year, he was done. He was done with the Spurs. He was out of there, right? And Popovich said, no, 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 no. I'd never have players think this way. And so, you know what Pop did? Pop said, I must have done something wrong, right? Because I must have not shown LaMarcus that I care. I must not shown LaMarcus that I love him. I must not shown LaMarcus that he is accepted regardless of his performance, right? Popovich took that on his own. And guess what? He's still playing for him, you know? Uh, and so that being said, Popovich did a great job demonstrating what happens when you get a little off base on that, a little off center and how to self-correct. 
And so one of the ways you end up walking with God and resenting it is you perform anxiously because you forget that you are accepted by your heavenly father, regardless of your performance. And we accidentally create that anxious performance in people around us when we don't send the message to them that they're accepted regardless of their performance. Here's the fourth thing, fourth and final thing for you uh, out of Luke chapter 15 um, in how you can walk with God and resent it. Here's how you can walk with God and resent it. Um, in verse 30, you see the old brother and the young brother, you see the older brother comparing himself to the younger brother. He compares his performance, which he thinks is pretty good, to the fact that the younger brother, I believe the exact term, I don't have the verse in front of me at the moment, but the exact statement is that the older brother says the younger brother squandered his wealth on prostitutes. He squandered his father's wealth on prostitutes, and you're going to accept him back? And I've been here doing my stuff. Dad, I've been here killing it for you, right? And so when we begin to compare in a proud way, it begins to make us walk with God and resent it. If you are pushing others down so that you can feel lifted up, you are deep in proud comparison and there's a really good chance you're walking with God and going to resent it. Let me, let me give you two pieces of advice on this particular one, how to manage the, the temptation of proud comparison. I mean, are you kidding me? Social media at times is just nothing but comparison, right? We see the best highlights of everyone's week. We never see the weak, the stuff. We never see the struggles, the failures. And so we end up comparing our lives to their lives. Think what's wrong with my life. I don't tweet stuff out like that. I don't Instagram post stuff like that, right? Like we, we get in this big comparison trap all the time. Here's two ways to help to manage the temptation of proud comparison. First of all, question yourself. Can you authentically celebrate the success of others? If, if you're a head coach, you, one of your highest priorities should be to celebrate the success of your kids. Celebrate the success of those kids. If you're an athletic director, one of your highest priorities should be to celebrate the success of your coaches. You will never, ever go wrong celebrating the success of the people around you. And it helps to suppress the temptation to compare in a prideful way. And let me tell you something, a leader of any type, coach, AD, school leader, business leader, you start pridefully comparing yourself to what's going on around you. Let me tell you something, boy, that will rot so fast. You will get off kilter so fast uh, because so many people in today's day and age are struggling with it, which means so many people can see it so fast, right? And so I would encourage you, if you want to suppress the temptation to pridefully compare yourself to other people, man, get in a mode of celebrating others' achievements successfully. And here's the second piece of advice. If you're not there right now, like you're just, you're just not there, you can't celebrate people's achievements openly, get out of sports until you can. Get out of sports until you can. Because let me tell you something, because the platform is so powerful, you are really going to warp people. You're going to warp the people that you are responsible to influence. You know, the, the easy comparison is coaches and student athletes. Coaches have such a huge impact on student athletes. And that is not right or wrong. That is amoral. Okay. The impact of coaches on student athletes is amoral. It's up to the individual to make it moral or immoral. And too many coaches make it an immoral influence, a negative influence, because man, they, they think it's about them. They think it's about them. If you want to be a great coach, make it about your athletes. You want to be a, a great leader of any kind, make it about the people that you're responsible to serve and to lead. And so the, the fourth way that you walk with God and resent it is you get stuck in the trap of proud comparison as demonstrated with the younger brother and the older brother. Now, quick closing for you here. If you were to notice in Luke chapter 15, verse 30, it's the last verse. It's the end of, it's the, end of the story. It's a parable um, that Jesus Christ told his followers. It doesn't have an ending to it. We don't know what happened with the big brother because the big brother stormed out of the house. If you read the text, the big brother stormed out of the house and the father went after him. Said, no, 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 don't ruin this moment. Like come in here and celebrate with your little brother, you know, and then this, this nasty conversation unfolds in 28, 29 and 30. Okay. And then we don't know if the big brother went back in the house. We don't know if the father's conversation with the big brother worked. We don't know how any of it resolved. And so th that's a really, really important thing because I think it's supposed to leave us all really wondering, not only wondering what happened with the story, but in self-reflection, wondering what's going to happen with us. Like, like how, 
in every sense, in a lot of ways, we are all the big brother. And so it's like, yo, I need to check myself on a couple of these walk with God and resented details here. And the end of the story is left wide open so that you can kind of, I believe, in your own life through the power of the Holy Spirit, write the ending to your own story of the prodigal son. Let me give you these last two things. So a lot of what has to do with the end of that story now is what are we perceiving? What are we perceiving? If you perceive yourself as a servant, and I'm going to use that word in a very negative context, right? Because a lot of what the big brother struggled with is the fact that he felt uncared for. He just felt like another, another servant, like around the property, around the house. Like, like he felt uncared. If you perceive yourself as that type of servant, you will be warped by resentment. If you forget that your father loves you, if you forget that your father accepts you regardless of your performance, if you forget that your father does not want you pridefully comparing yourself to others, if you forget that you, you don't have to have anxious, if you forget those things, you will be warped by resentment. But here's the key, and here's where I want to encourage everyone. If you perceive yourself as a loved child, you will set yourself free to grow and to serve the people around you. If you perceive yourself as a loved child, um, right at the end of one of the most recent Avenger movies, um, if, if you follow those things, I guess in some ways I'm still a 13 year old, right? So I, I follow some of those things, right? Uh, and um, Tony Stark and Captain America, Iron Man, Captain America have a big split, right? And they're always kind of at each other's throats. And towards the end of that series, um, they, um, they, they, they patch things back up. Stark pulls up to the Avengers, um, the base, right? He pulls up in one of his fancy Tony Stark cars and he gets out. Captain America stand there to greet him. And they're, they're starting to put things back together. Um, and Tony Stark gets out of there. And Captain America says something like, what are you doing here? Uh, and Tony Stark says, I hate resentment. I find it corrosive. Uh, and so if you perceive yourself as a servant, you will be warped by resentment. And according to Tony Stark, resentment is corrosive. You want to you ruin yourself as a sport leader. Walk with God and resent it. You want to ruin the people around you as a sport leader. Walk with God and resentment. Resentment is corrosive. And so we have to constantly check ourselves to make sure that we perceive ourselves as a loved child. And if we do that, we're going to set ourselves free to grow and to serve the people around us. Uh, again, um, I am just flattered to talk to so many people that are using the platform of sport to influence others. Uh, I hope that I hope that challenged you a little bit, and I hope my objective was accomplished, which was uh, to really send you away with an explosive inspiration uh, that God's hand is on you and your ministry as a, as a sport leader. So, Coach, thank you, thank you for having me on. No, the pleasure is all mine. And, you know, a lot of times, you know how people say, don't believe the hype. <laughs> Let me tell you, I am definitely, I'm believing the hype. I did from the whole title and definitely didn't know where you were going with that. But when I tell you it was much needed and highly necessary, not only just for sports leaders, but as you said, all leaders. So I'm going to save the nuggets that I have over here, my three little pages um, and open the floor. If you're new to the call, guys, we're family. Just unmute yourself and go ahead and talk. It's a conversation. Dr. Hobbs, amazing word this afternoon. Um, Thank you, Coach. Thank you. I love the words. I love how you dug into the prodigal son, gave you a whole different perspective. But the car ride home got me. <laughs> I have a 13-year-old son. I coach basketball as well. I had the athletic director as well. But uh, that, that's challenged me. So I'm definitely going to go back and Make sure I fix that, not only with my son, but for the young men um, that I'm in care with at the time, but just let them know, hey, it's going to be days like that. That's just life. Um, but let them know it's going to be all right. But I appreciate your word. I appreciate your ministry. Um, great word this afternoon, but the, the car ride got me. The car ride got me. Appreciate you. <laughs> let, me, let me add another story to Coach Knott's comment there. Um, so if, if you've studied Popovich, you know that um, when the Miami Heat – um, beat the Spurs in, I believe it was game six to force game seven a couple years ago. Ray Allen hits that incredible three from the corner out of force overtime. They end up winning overtime. And the Spurs had it locked up. The Spurs had that game won. Um, Popovich had put his favorite restaurant in Miami on reserve and his favorite list of wines on reserve. 
because he assumed we're winning this game. We're winning the NBA championship in Miami tonight, and we're going to my favorite restaurant in Miami to celebrate. They lost. One of the assistant coaches came up to cancel, to assume they're canceling the reservation. He said, we're not canceling the reservation. He's like, the worst thing we can do is sulk right now. He's like, we're going to get together. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have some wine. We're going to have some food, uh, and we're going to remind each other. It's okay. It's okay. And so that's how Pop handled on that level handled the car ride home. He said, we're going to a restaurant. We're going to eat together, you know? So coach, you're right. And I think a lot of us were so competitive. Sometimes we get that, that post game wrong. And I'm a big Spurs fan. I'm a pop fan. I've been, I've been <laughs> I worked at Wake Forest. So Duncan, oh, okay. Greg Popovich is, is my guy. Um, when Ray hit that shot, I was in tears and I was hot. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Hobbs, this is Kendra Aaron. Hey, can you guys hear me? Okay. Oh, yep, you can. Okay, it's such a great um, talk. I was laying down listening because I have my daughter, so I had my, my video off, but I was listening the entire time, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Awesome stuff, like Coach Knott said, the car ride home. Um, one of the things that I thought about when you said that, too, is just reminding our kids that they are not their performance. So I know that that car ride home may be hard for a lot of us because we're like, no, but they played horrible. No, but it's hard to say like something good. Um, and I think it would be even worse to say something that you don't mean. So if you say something that you don't mean and you're just trying to dig for something good, try to say like, even if you just simply remind them that they are not their performance, mm -hmm. like you, and that's, that's anything they do. Like you were not your thoughts. You were not your brain. Like there's so much other stuff going on that if they remember that there's so much more than that, that's just a huge stepping stone. Mm -hmm. The other thing, um, Dr. Hobbs, that you kind of touched on, you kept talking about the comparison. And I actually just wrote a blog about the competition versus coaching with abundance. And I think we as competitors get so easily drawn into that comparison. And I'm noticing it more and more as I'm not um, not an athlete anymore, but now that I'm starting my business, now that I'm doing my business, I'm looking around at other people and I'm comparing myself and I compare myself. And I really, I have a life coach who's looking at me and like, you compare yourself a lot. And I think it's the competition that we're so used to just as sports people. Um, and it's one of the things, if you learn how to coach with abundance rather than like that competitiveness, even though that's what we pride ourselves on is that competitiveness. What we do is we compare ourselves to everybody else because we're like, we got to be better than them in order to win. But if we look within our team and we do abundance and say like, what if everybody's good? What if everybody has the potential of being good and having great programs? And then when we go head to head, whoever just performs the best and doesn't have that fear, then that's who's going to exceed and that's who's going to win at the end of the game. And I think that's huge because I think we teach competition wrong. Um, I think we teach competition because we look at the other person and we say, who are you better than them? And then that naturally just brings that comparison. So it's mm -hmm. awesome that you brought that up. Um, I think it's amazing. The other thing that was put on my heart when you were talking and sorry, I don't mean to take over <laughs> is the loving your players. And I think this is something immediately when you said it, I was like, Oh, I hope there's nobody on this call. That's like beating themselves up for not loving their players. You guys, I think we all get kind of caught up in, as the year goes on, and, and sometimes I think now we're in a place where we haven't started a year. Some people are starting with football and some of the fall sports, but I think sometimes we get into a place when we're like, just when we get more players, we'll love our players. And then as the year goes on, they do things, and as naturally, things happen, and we start to not love our players because of the things that happen or the things that they do. And I want you guys to know that it's okay not to love your players right now, but you do need to get there. So if anybody, it was placed on my heart, if anybody here needs help loving their players, please reach out to me. And I will absolutely help you on how to make that actually really easy. So that's all I have. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, hey, guys. My name's Jonathan Zakowski, and I have the privilege of working for Coach Hobbs. I'm the aquatic director at the King's Academy. Uh, varsity coach and a club coach and I can tell you over the last week I definitely have not loved coaching my son um, <laughs> coach Hobbs would tell you you know I, I have the challenge and the task of coaching uh, my son who's one of the top swimmers in the nation um, who's trying to make the Olympic team in 2021 
And it is a delicate balance. And so I really needed to hear that part about the car ride. And as my son's getting older, he's 16 now, and he'll remind me, Dad, I know you want me to get better, but you gave me so much today that was negative. I needed to hear something positive. And so as our relationship develops, and I realize when he knows he's doing something wrong, I'm doing my best to hold back with the negative because he already knows it as a perfectionist and an elite athlete. And I just try to find something positive. So I'll hold that negative to when he's in a better frame of mind and just give him something a little positive that he is doing right. And then when he's having a better day, a little stronger, a little faster, his technique is there, maybe he wasn't up late at night, then I'll hit him with some of that negative thought. Um, not negative, but constructive criticism. But when I have this athlete who's, you know, the top recruit in the nation, um, and again, trying to make an Olympic team, you know, you, we, we, I spend so much time looking at what can I do to make him better? And as somebody who's coaching their own son, who always seeks my own approval, um, I have to just, I have to remind myself that I'm not only this boy's uh, coach, I'm also his father. And today he just needs to know that his father loves him and just stop with the critiquing because I, I was a, a pretty arrogant parent as a six, seven, eight year old with my son before I coached him at swimming. Um, and I was that obnoxious person on the sideline, keep going, keep scoring. The car rides were horrible. You, you, you had eight goals. You should have had nine. Um, so for, for with my son now, um, luckily, he's old enough to kind of speak up for himself and he's able to push back and just say what was wrong. And he just said, I was just having a bad day and I really just needed more of my dad and less of my coach. So, you know, for everybody out there, I think, you know, sometimes as we coach, I don't think there's a harder job than coaching your own child in what you do. It, it, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. So Luckily, with his love and support, he, he, like I said, he teaches me a lot of times more than I ever teach him. And that is when you, when you see the frustration on your, your own child's heart, just back off with the coaching and just come forward with the love. And usually it has a way of working itself out really quick. And, and I have just failed at that year after year. And, and it's only, uh, it's all, every day it's a struggle but every day we try to get better at it. So I uh, wish you guys a good season. Uh, hopefully we'll all be coaching out there in the fall. Thank you for your time. Hey, Coach. Coach Hobbs. Yes, sir. Coach Daniels, you got to unmute yourself. I don't see why I need to do that, Chelsea. Um, <laughs> Uh, I want to respond to, for four things. Uh, one is to, to, to Jonathan, who just spoke about his kid. Uh, let me share three quick points and I'll get out your way. Jonathan, my, my son was an NFL athlete, um, National Football League, C, CFL, college, AFL, all that stuff. Let me just tell you one thing I learned about my kid um, that might help you with, um, with your situation with your son. My high school coach uh, died uh, this past summer, and my college coach is, um, is sick right now. And a lot of the college, a lot of my college uh, teammates, a lot of my high school uh, teammates, they were very sorrowful for the, the, the sickness and the death of our coaches. But he, 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 I was sorrowful as well. But here's, here's what happened to me, and I hope this helps you guys out. Um, I didn't feel as bad about it, and I hate to see anybody die, anybody get sick. But what that coach was to those guys was a father and a mentor, okay? He was a father and a mentor. I didn't need that. What I needed for my high school coach and college coach was a coach. I wanted a coach. I needed a coach. And because he didn't coach me and develop me, I wasn't missing. I didn't need a father or a mentor because I had a dad. Okay, long story short, with what you're saying, I coach high school girls. And a lot of times, they don't need a coach. They need their dad. See, they can always get a coach. 
they can find coaches. Coaches are laying all across the street anywhere. I mean, it's all these, you know, coaches becoming like liquor stores. They're on every corner. But a dad, a dad is one million, one million. And believe it or not, whether you say anything or not, they're seeking your approval constantly, constantly. And you can get yourself into trouble when you overcoach them. And then you get in trouble if you undercoach them because a lot of times you'll take that ride home because I get that speech. You take that ride home. And your kid, your kid's about to die because you're not saying anything. And they know they screwed up. They make the whole family parents. And they'll wait, just wait to hear what you have to say. And some basketball groups will tell you, you should wait until your kid says, ask you, hey, dad, how'd that go? And it's very difficult, especially for men, because we're sitting there and, and we live and die and live our dreams through our kids. And a lot of times what happens when they don't perform and they underperform, we are sick. So that's one point I want to share you about the, the whole father-son relationship. The other thing I want to tell you about that, that, that ride home, um, even if it changes subject, try to get away from talking about the game. Try not to, because just like your players know and all our players know, when they screwed up, they're the first ones to know. They, are, they already know. They, they know that they, they didn't play as well, so they already know that. So you add more to it, it makes them feel even worse. Then the other thing that brought me to a lot of realistic points about coaching kids and understanding, I'm preparing for a regional playoffs. I scouted the team. I thought we were ready to go. I thought we were off there. That rival game. And my senior, at the end of the game, my senior stood up and made a real emotional statement. Her question to me was, Coach, are we going to eat at Popeye's, Crystal, or McDonald's? That's where they were. That was the most important thing to the what fast food restaurant. We're in, and, and I just sunk. I was like, you're talking about eating fast food, and I'm talking about a major game we just lost. But those kids showed me what they thought I was and how, how they cared or not cared about it. But that was, that's what was important to them. The last point, which is real quick, um, I asked my kids, this is where you could test whether your kids hear what you're saying or not. On a regional final, we made the regionals again. On a regional finals, I asked my kids, okay, I'm going to lead a room, and we got about five minutes before we have to be on the floor. I want you guys to outline how we need to prepare for this team. And fortunately for me, when I walked back in that locker room, my kids had charted everything on that board that we had talked about all year. And I was totally blunt. Um, I was blown away. And the things they had on the board was like, believe in God, trust God, trust each other. I was like, I couldn't believe those kids heard all that. So as a coach, as a father, you may think your kids are not hearing what you're saying, but guys, they hear you. And they may not show you right away. They may come back years from now and tell you, say, Coach, if it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't have learned those valuable lessons. Thank y'all for letting me share that little rant, that little rat. That's good, Coach. It's good. Hey, Coach. Hey. Hey. Um, my name is Robert McKay. I, I actually was the uh, – I was the head coach and – athletic director at Inlet Grove two years ago. We met oh. a couple of times. So, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Nice um, to see you again. I'll, yeah, and I see you too, Coach. Um, and to add on to that, um, I'm a Heat fan. So I was on the opposite end of that. Great <laughs> yeah. out of shot. So I hate to kind of rub that in your face right now. But, I mean, I know uh, Robert's on here. He was probably crying, but so was I. But I was crying tears of joy. Tears of joy. <laughs> Woo! That was a – that was a crazy shot. But, um, <laughs> you know, to piggyback what everyone else was saying about the car ride home, I helped raise my little brother. Um, he um, he plays quarterback. He was playing quarterback um, at Godby High School in Tallahassee. And there were days that literally the car ride home saved his relationship or just his love for football because he never played football before. so. He literally played baseball his entire life. Um, he started playing football his junior year of high school, and he started playing quarterback. And if you had never played football before, trying to play quarterback, you know, the odds can can be against you. You know, he had the arm because he played, he played third base and catcher, so the arm was there, but it was, it was so much more than just, you know, completing the pass. You know, the mental capacity, protection, understanding the game, game management, and there were days where we would be in that car and it's like, you know, Rashawn, it's okay. I know you didn't have a good day, but it'll be okay, you know. And, you know, our rule was, because I was also a coach there, um, you know, we would talk about it on a ride home the minute we walked into the house. 
it was over. It was over. Now you want to go over plays or something for the next day, but when we walk into that house, there is no more talking about that practice. You know, so um, I think that really helped him and his, um, you know, and and his growth um, to a point where he did a phenomenal job his senior year. You know, uh, to a point where you know he's actually competing for the starting job at Florida A and M this year. You know, so again, you know, I definitely, you know, I kudos to you, you know, for even bringing that up, you know, because again, and until you brought it up, you know, that really saved his relationship with football because it was, I mean, we had days where it was just, I mean, it was tough, you know, just because, you know, he thought about not playing anymore because it just, it wasn't clicking for him right away. And I mean, it was, you know, seven on sevens. I mean, he's getting torched because, you know, you only get three seconds, throw the ball. And he, you know, it was just so much processing, you know, and for him, you know, um, I think the easiest way for him to even understand is I had to buy him math just so he can understand, you know, just coverages, just understand it. And it was crazy. The game of Madden helped me, and I'm not really a, a gamer, but it helped me so much to help him <laughs> because it literally taught him where we'll do something in practice and then we'll play Madden. And, hey, man, we do that in practice. Yeah, that, you know, it's – you know, it's a common play, you know, so teaching him smash rock concepts and doing all other stuff just definitely helped. But, um, but, but I did want to just come in here and say, coach, man, I, the car ride home was a big hit coach. Um, and it definitely helped save my relationship with my brother. as well. That's good, Robert. I, one of the themes I'm hearing right now is um, the game, whatever the game is, basketball, football, swimming, whatever it is, the game is hard enough as it is sometimes we make it even harder by how we handle it afterwards. Like it's hard enough on the kids. It's hard enough on us as coaches as it is, you know, lying awake at night, you know, what did I do wrong? Like let's, I, I think maybe just let the game be hard by itself. Let's not make it harder than it already is on us emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And I think where we make it harder than it is, than it, than it already is, is in that, that how we handle post game how we handle that car ride home, how we handle those conversations around the dinner table, how we handle those, those coaches meetings. You know, for those of you who have coaching staff, you meet with your coaching staff after a game, boy, and you're just sitting there just wallowing in it, right? I mean, it just didn't go well. And I mean, it's hard enough as it is. Uh, I, I think um, the other thing too, I think we're so competitive that we try and prove that we're a greater competitor. But listen, you can assume we're all competitive, right? Like you can assume everyone walked in that gym's competitive because that's why they're there. You can assume the coach and they've been, like, I think we can kind of stop trying to prove how competitive we are and just trust the fact, Hey, it's assumed we're all competitive. That's assumed. And so becoming way wrapped up in the scoreboard, it's important. Don't get me wrong. But like, sometimes I think we try to prove how competitive we are rather than just being okay with the fact that it's assumed like, Hey, listen, yeah, we're all competitive. Like we're good. You don't have to go about trying to prove how competitive you are. I think sometimes we make life too hard on ourselves by trying to just prove how competitive we are rather than just going ahead and really engaging in the process of teaching kids and, and loving kids. Can I say something, uh, Ms. Johnson, uh, coach, how you doing, sir? Don, it's nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Likewise. Um, I was blessed enough to coach my son and my daughter. I coached uh, varsity girls basketball and varsity boys basketball for the last two years. Um, I've been coaching girls basketball for about 20 years. Um, with my daughter, um, it was a little bit difficult. You know, you know, she's a daddy's girl, and having to see Coach Don versus Dad, um, you know, having to be able to switch modes on her like that was very, very difficult. Um, coach McKay, I understand, you know, playing the quarterback position. I played quarterback and I played linebacker all the way up to high school. So being able to flip modes, per se, uh, I guess it's kind of been my cup of tea. Um, but when having my daughter, um, I could get on her real bad on the court, um, just holding her accountable the same way she holds me accountable or held me accountable. Um, we would get in the car, and I would say something about practice. And one day, one day in particular, her sophomore year, she said, Dad, she said, I don't need Coach Don right now. I need my dad. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I'm going to tell you, as a, as a father, if you love your child, that hit home. That hit home. Um, so I had to understand the difference because, I, you know, I push. I push real hard. And, we, you know, we do a lot of off-season training and stuff like that. And, you know, we get into the season. Season's a little bit more easier based off what we were doing off-season 
making the game a whole lot easier per se. So, and I always tell my kids, you don't, you know, you can win from a loss and you can lose from a win. Um, it's not about the wins or losses. It's about learning and, and being able to understand how to play. Um, our job as varsity coaches is to teach them how to play at the college level. Um, so we try to teach those things. And, and again, you know, I got, you know, I got overly competitive and I'm trying to talk to her on the way home about something she could have did different in practice. And, you know, she just kind of laid that on my heart. And I almost came to tears. I was like, baby girl, I'm sorry. You know, what you want to eat? <laughs> it's on me. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, my son, um, it was a little different. Uh, again, you know, I'm one of these guys. I, I sit up late at night and watch film. I, it's summertime, and I'm still watching film from last year, looking at ways to get better. With my son, um, you know, I can say things to him on the floor, get on him and practice, and then we'll get home, and he'll come to me, and he'll sit and, and ask questions while I'm watching film. You know, my daughter would just lay with me and watch me take notes. She wouldn't say anything. But my son would come in there and ask questions. Um, so, you know, there's a big difference with coaching, you know, boys and girls, and young men, young women, however you want to word it. Um, but I did understand that, you know, daddy had to be different off the floor versus being coached down. Um, that's a tough task to, to have to, you know, maintain. But, again, you know, I always tell my kids, and Coach Johnson heard me say this many times before, you know, basketball is a tool for the ministry. Um, and it doesn't stop just because they're your kids. So um, they saw me, you know, give my all, and they still see me give my all for basketball, but they understand that it's ministry-based. We do a lot of things with basketball, but at the end of the day, our job is to lead, lead these young men and women to Christ. Let God fillet them. So if they see me doing my job correctly, you know, I expect them to turn around and do the same thing off the floor they tell me all the time, you know, I was real hard on them, but they, they find themselves saying the same things to people off the floor that I said to them. And I just laughed. I said, I'm just saying the same stuff my dad used to say to me that I thought he was real mean about. So, but thank you for all that you do, Coach. It's definitely good talking to you. Yep, yep. Great to meet you. Coach, oh, Coach G, all right. Coach G, go ahead. Go ahead. Ooh, my bad. I'm going to try to keep it quick. Um, as always, Dr. Hobbs, thank you. And for whoever else steps up to say anything, man, it's big to be able to get in front of people and and share whatever your testimony may be or your philosophies or whatever. So uh, thank you for what. Can you hear me okay? I got you, Coach. I got you. Coach, nice okay. to meet you. Thank you for the kind words. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to take everybody back a little bit further. So... The, the car ride home, I see everybody's face go, uh-oh, because we've all been a part of it. You know, if you if you got kids of your own, sometimes you had to give kids a ride home after the bus, so you get the bus and the car ride home, like, my mom's at work, yo, can, can you drop me off at home? It's another 10, 15 minutes. But I'm going to take it back to at least when we were kids. You know, if you lost, you're on the bus, there's complete silence. There's nothing. <laughs> It's like no lights, no music, no nothing. Don't talk. You didn't, you, you didn't earn the right to talk. And everybody laughs about, you know, the last dance and Michael Jordan getting mad about this, that, and other. That's how it was. Like, if you lose, you had no rights to do anything. Like, no fun, no laughing, no smiling, no food. You might get McDonald's just so you can't say we starved you. But that was it. And <clears throat> all of these Zooms are great for perspective and self-evaluation because um, it brings different angles and makes you think about different 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 ways of of operating and the ride home definitely hit home for me uh, because I do coach and, and, and I've had to go deal with that but <clears throat> a couple of things uh, one that I wrote down is how I address a good or a bad play <clears throat> even in the game, because like when you mess up, like you said, most often than not, they're going to know it because they don't even want to look your way. It's, it's one of these numbers. And, but I'm still going to go, I'm, I'm still going to come get on you. And I'm going to put a lot of energy into making sure you know you screwed up. However, on the same token, if you do something good, I don't care if it's a point, a rebound, a box out, you ran the play right, whatever it is that we did, I want you to understand that I'm going to put that same energy in and let you know you did it right. That's good, Coach. 
And it's like, hey, I'm going to get on you when you screw up, but just know I'm always behind you. And the only reason I bother you like I do is because I see where you can be, not necessarily where you are. But easier said than done because we want to just keep it rolling all the time as opposed to I'm going to let it sit. I'm going to let you think about it. And maybe we'll pick it up tomorrow or something. But that's just my thought on it. And I'm scared because I've coached my nephew, my older one. He's 16, 17. He played for me in middle school. And my younger nieces and nephews, one's eight, one's five. And they're like, when are we going to play for coach? When are we going to play for uncle? I'm not coach to them. I'm uncle. <laughs> and it's like, we want to play for you. I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if I'm ready for that because I know one way to do it. And then they might go, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> Unk scared me. I just didn't, I never want to be the guy that, that ruined it for you. You know, we might not always win the championship, but at least you came away with some kind of better understanding of the team, some understanding of the family, understanding how to play the game better, be a good teammate or whatnot. But I never want you to pull away from your experience and go, I don't want to play this anymore because Coach G ruined it for me. And I know some coaches that have done that for kids. And I was like, I never want to be that guy. If there's anything I compare, I just never want to be that guy. I would feel terrible. But anyway, find a way to stay positive. I loved it. That's just my two cents. Y'all keep doing what you're doing. Good to hear from you, Coach. Good to hear from you. Yes, sir. Thank you, everyone, Coach. I just want to thank you so much just for what you're doing. Um, you said some amazing things. I'm not going to backtrack because my thoughts were a lot of everyone's thoughts on here, um, you know, I'm a Celtics fan, but I do remember that game. Uh, so sorry for y'all that was on the losing end. Um, but I'm just so thankful for everything that you've been there because all of us as athletes and coaches or parents, we've been in that, you know, seat. And, you know, one of the biggest things for me, you know, where I teach, it's much like what Coach Daniel said, they do. I don't have children of my own, but those are my, my babies. They hear me say all the time, those are my babies. And people will often say, oh, how many you have? And I'm like, 23. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I have to be mindful, you know, and as I've grown and matured, I've been coaching for 11 years now. So this year will be year 12 coming up. And I, I've matured and understanding that. And one of the things that hit home, I say this and then we'll end, is I remember it was a game. It was December 1st. I always play December 1st because we do a World AIDS game, um, Day game to bring awareness and raise money. And my birthday is the day after that. So, of course, you want to win every game, but it's, you know, all about initiative, things that we're trying to teach them. And I'll never forget we lost, like, in the very end of the game, and we were up by eight, okay, with a minute and some change left. So if you're a coach and you can place or insert your sport in there, you know how that made me feel. Family's in town. There's a birthday gathering after it for me. You know, I walk in the locker room and they're already looking like, and one girl was just crying, crying. When I play, she's crying, 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 crying. And I'm thinking to myself, but you didn't even play that much. Like, why are you crying so bad? I know you care, but she was crying as if and avoiding me as if you're about to come say something to me. So, you know, I didn't say much. I said, I love you guys. Coach's birthday is tomorrow. Y'all better tell me happy birthday. And left at that, you know, so the rest of them smiled. They left and she was still crying. I walked up to her and I said, sweetheart, what's wrong? Why are you crying so bad? I know we lost. We're good. We'll deal with it in practice tomorrow. Don't worry about it. She looked at me and she said, I just didn't know if you still were going to take me home. Mm. Mm. And that hit me in such a way because it hits back to what you've spoke of, spoken about what Coach Daniels repeated a lot of times, even if we're not their blood parent, if we're not their actual parent or guardian, we're their parent before we're their coach. And they need that. And this child bump a game, bump losing. Her mindset the whole time was, I lost this game. Do I have a ride home? And I think that just speaks volumes to what you said. And as Kendra also said, we have to make sure they know that we love them first mm -hmm. and we love them unconditionally. So I thank you so much just for what you said and everybody else for your amazing comments. You, my friend, are something else. That's what I'm going to say. And I'm just glad to know you. Uh, I'm definitely going to stay connected with you. If there's anything that I can do or any of us can do, you just let me know. And we typically close out in prayer. I didn't know. Do you mind doing that? If not, I can close. Be honored. I'd be honored. Actually, you thank know you what? So I got a dear friend on here. Dennis McNulty is the head boys basketball coach at Timothy Christian School right outside in New Jersey, right outside New York City. 
Uh, Dennis, a dear friend of mine, our boys were together when I lived in New Jersey. They were in the same class together. Uh, Dennis is also a great preacher. Uh, Pastor, could you close us in prayer, my friend? Sure, I sure. I love that. Thanks, everybody. That, that was awesome. Uh, so blessed to be part of this community. It's just been such a blessing the last two weeks that I've been with you guys. So uh, let's pray. Father, it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we thank you, O oh God. We're so grateful, Lord, for your word. We're thankful for your unconditional love. And Lord, uh, just give us the grace to examine ourselves, take the inventory necessary to make us better, to grow and mature in the faith. And Lord, if we're the one that stayed home, if we're the one that's operating and doing ministry out of a place of resentment, we pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would remove it because nothing good, nothing good can come from a leader that operates in the place of resentment. Thank you for Dr. Hobbs. Lord, we pray that you restore the virtue that has gone out of him. Thank you for Coach Chelsea for being willing to, to grab the reins and to put this together and to uh, walk as you uh, have outlined for her to walk. For every coach, every leader, every influencer, God, we thank you because as a wise bishop once told me, if you're coaching or leading one, it's one more than you deserve to coach or lead. And so, Lord, we thank you for what you've entrusted to our care. Help us to be good stewards as we go from this place to go about your bidding. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Pastor, great to see you. Yes. Great to connect with everyone. To the weekend, okay? (laughs) Thank you so much, Uh, Minister Dennis. Thank you so much, Dr. Hobbs. Appreciate everybody being on. We'll start the week on Tuesday, same time, same place, with Coach Ronnie Enoch with Syracuse Women's Basketball. So thank you guys so much. If we can do anything, just reach out. (laughs) Take care, guys. Thanks, Doc. See you later.